0: You are listening to Voice of the Blue, brought to you by the American Police Hall of Fame in Titusville, Florida. the American Police Hall of Fame. We are the keepers of the history of individual law enforcement officers that honors the fallen and supports their families. A training facility that teaches civilians how to be their own first responder that offers free tactical and strategic training for sworn officers. A great place to visit and learn. Go to aphf.org to find out more. Welcome to Voice of the Blue. I am Royce, your host, bringing you an intimate look at the men and women of the law enforcement profession through their service, their stories, their lives, and sometimes through their own words. This program is brought to you by the American Police Hall of Fame in Titusville, Florida. You can check them out at aphf.org. I'd like to share with you a story in this episode about a very legendary lawman. He was born in Mount view, Oklahoma and December 6 1906. He was named Jacob Adolphus Bryce, but later in his life, he changed his name to Delph Bryce D E L F. And he did that in honor of his father and his grandfather. Later, he was given the nickname Jelly Bryce, and we'll tell you how he got that nickname in just a little bit. But this is the story of legendary lawman Delph Jelly Bryce. There was a very popular legend about Delf that detailed how when he was just an infant, how he would use his father's revolver as a substitute for a teething ring and thereby got an early start on his weapon skills. Now, while some people would think such a tale should be and could be immediately dismissed, Bryce's sister, one Lila Dawson, has been quoted as defending it as fact. She said when he was a baby that they let him teethe ...on Daddy's unloaded pistol. They propped him up with pillows there in the crib... ...and let him go after it. Well, apparently... (laughs) ...that led to quite an illustrious career... ...as a law enforcement officer. Uh, Bryce gained a very early reputation... ...as a crack shot with a rifle or a pistol. Uh, Even some of his early neighbors said... ...that at age 10... ...he simply never missed... It was apparently more common to see Bryce walking around with either his 22 rifle or his air rifle than it was to see him without it. He used those weapons to hunt rabbits and of course, to practice on shooting tin cans. Right after graduating from high school, Bryce entered a citizen's military camp. Those things are no longer in existence, but back then, back in those days, they were, it was held at Fort Sill, Oklahoma. And in the course of the Camp Pistol and Rifle competitions, he won first place in both of them, and then he went on to win the National Rifle Competition at Camp Perry, Ohio. Bryce's entrance into the police profession was said to have been accidental and a direct side effect of his shooting prowess. After high school, he had become a state game ranger in Oklahoma, but in the fall, he headed to the University of Oklahoma where he had planned to enroll, along the way he came across a pistol competition where the first prize was a hundred dollars in gold. The competition took place in Shawnee, Oklahoma. It was part of the annual sheriffs and peace officers convention. And when Bryce arrived, he approached the the man in charge. Uh, he was the Oklahoma night. Uh, I'm sorry, the Oklahoma City night chief of police. His name was Clarence Hurt, and Bryce asked Clarence Hurt if the competition was open to anybody. Well, Hurt wasn't really sure that a boy just out of high school really knew how to shoot, so in order to test him, he stuck an envelope to a tree and then paced off a competition distance. He told Bryce to shoot the envelope. Bryce uh, asked him, he said, can I draw and shoot? Because I'm better if I draw first than if I stand still. Well, Hurt said, no problem. You can do that. It was his choice. Bryce then drew his revolver and fired rapidly six times. He put all six shots in a group that it was said one could cover with a silver dollar turned to Bryce and said, forget about college, you have a job with the Oklahoma City Police Department. (laughs) The pistol team that Bryce shot with that day won first prize. Now, Bryce's first gunfight as a police officer reportedly occurred shortly after being sworn in. He was off duty, but he caught a man in the act of trying to steal a car. He approached the man because he looked like a guy that Bryce had seen on a wanted poster when Bryce confronted him and identified himself as a police officer. he, he had even had not even been issued a badge yet, much less a uniform. And the man tried to draw a firearm to shoot Bryce with Bryce drew and fired first and shot the man dead in a single shot. He was so new to the Oklahoma City Police Department that the the City Police Department captain who responded to the scene didn't even know who he was, and he had him arrested until later that night when that same night chief, Clarence Hurt, came in for duty and had Bryce released. That same year, Bryce was on patrol when he caught two men trying to burglarize a furniture store. He, of course, had to confront them as a police officer. He identified himself as a police officer. Both men then pulled guns and fired at him. Bryce then drew his firearm and returned fire. Two shots, two dead burglars. In his first year on the job, Bryce had been in two gunfights against three very determined assailants, each of whom had fired or attempted to first and all three of them had lost. During his time there at Oklahoma City Police Department, Jelly Bryce uh, tended to favorite engraved nickel-plated Smith & Wesson third-model revolver chambered in 44 Special. It had fixed sights, a four-inch barrel, and ivory grips. On the right side, on the right grip, was a carved steer head, but on the other side was a black cat and the number 13. Some folks up Thought that was because Bryce was superstitious, but he said, no, I'm not the superstitious type. The only people that are going to get bad luck from this are the bad guys. And that proved to be true. Not long after that, Jelly Bryce obtained yet another handgun, another Smith & Wesson. It was a Model 27. It was a 357 Magnum revolver. And Jelly seemed to take to that pretty quickly because it was a big in-frame and it was almost the exact same size as his 44 special revolver he became the youngest detective on the Oklahoma City police department and he seemed to gravitate towards plain coat plain clothes duty because he always enjoyed being a dapper dresser early in his career while he was a detective he located a wanted gangster After confronting the man and calling for him to surrender, the man decided to fight instead and opened fire on Delph Jelly Bryce. That was his undoing because he was instantly dropped by multiple shots from Bryce's revolver, but the wounded man somehow managed to crawl into a nearby theater. Bryce entered into the theater behind him and directed the theater manager to turn up all the house lights. And he cautiously followed the trail of the bleeding suspect who he found laying there dying and helpless. And this is where he got his nickname Jelly from because the gangster looked up at this very also dapper looking detective and with his last breath gave the young man his trademark nickname and he said, I can't believe I was killed by a jelly bean like you. The term jelly bean back then was a term given to dapper dressers, men who dressed very smartly and uh, who were, what should we say, fashion conscience, as we might say it today. Now, Bryce ended up putting his sights on a career with the FBI, and that was soon to be for him because violence and lawlessness in the early 30s began to spread like wildfire with the gangsters and such plying their trade and robbing banks and bootlegging liquor and things like that. The FBI at one time uh, demanded that their agents be college graduates, but they started realizing that college graduates didn't have the mindset or even the skills to go up against the likes of John Dillinger and Babyface Nelson and the likes of those uh, guys from those days. So they began to hire what they considered to be gunslingers. Now, not in the lawless term of the word, of course, but men who knew how to use a gun, use it well, and use it well under stress. In November in 1934, the FBI hired three of the Oklahoma City detectives All of whom were on that previous pistol team, Jerry Campbell, also the night chief Clarence Hurt, and the youngest detective on the squad, one Delph Jelly Bryce. Even though Bryce did not have a college degree, which, as I said, was a requirement for FBI agents in those days, One particular incident he was involved in reportedly caught the attention of the FBI and pretty much secured him a place therein. That incident, uh, as per multiple witnesses, involved an outlaw named Harvey Pugh. He was a known cop killer, and he was actually once partnered up with the infamous Clyde Barrow of Bonnie and Clyde fame. Pugh and two of his cohorts, a a J. Ray O'Donnell and Tom Walton, had holed up in the Wren Hotel there in Oklahoma City, and when word of their whereabouts reached the ears of the Oklahoma City Police Department, Jelly Bryce and the other two detectives were dispatched there to arrest them. Uh, Jelly went to the hotel and made contact with one Nora Bingaman, She was an elderly woman at the front desk. Her 28-year-old daughter, Merle Bolin, was the owner of the hotel. And uh, Jelly asked to speak with Merle, hoping to confirm the tip that those men were there. Bingaman led Jelly to Merle's room, and when Nora opened the door, she looked startled and tried hurriedly to close the door. Jelly realized something wasn't quite right, and he blocked the door with his foot and opened it. And that's where he spotted Ray O'Donnell laying on the bed with a Colt 1911 45 caliber semi-automatic pistol in each hand. Now, according to Bryce, this is how he summed up the action that took place right after that. He said, when I looked into the room, there he was up on his elbows with a gun in both hands aimed right at me. He was laying On the near side of me, and the woman was on the other side of him, I jumped to one side out of the line of fire, grabbed my gun, and tore him up. And yes, he did indeed tear him up. Jelly Bryce fired six times while on the move. His first shot hit O'Donnell just under the chin. The next four hit him in the head, and one round went down into the mattress just below O'Donnell's head. The women and Tom Walton were taken into custody shortly thereafter. And the cop killer, Harvey Pugh was arrested a few, uh, just a few minutes later as, uh, the account goes. And, uh, he had come back to the hotel to pick up his car and that's where they picked him up and they arrested him pretty much without incident. And that's good because he was indeed a cop killer, wouldn't have thought anything about shooting Jelly Bryce or the others that were with him there. Now, J. Edgar Hoover got wind of this incident, and as soon as he did, he actively recruited Delph Jelly Bryce. He actually waived the FBI's college requirement, the college degree requirement, in order to hire this young man who, uh, as Hoover said, had proven himself in multiple gunfights at a young age. Now, in 1941, his career entered a new level when he was appointed Special Agent in Charge in El Paso, Texas. He also served as Special Agent in Charge in San Antonio, Albuquerque, and Oklahoma City. And it was sometime during this period that Bryce developed what came to be known as the FBI fast draw holster in 1945. In order to resolve a question about his speed, uh, in drawing and firing his weapon, there was a life magazine article, which, which was titled. So just how fast is jelly anyway? <laughs> well, this is how fast he was. They timed his draw from the holster to the shot at two-fifths of one second. He would drop a half dollar from shoulder height and with the same hand, draw and fire, hitting the half dollar before it dropped below his waist. Now, one can only assume that he... Threw the half daughter away from his person just a little bit because it would be very unsafe to shoot at such a small target that close to him. But that being said, he was a very highly skilled, uh, what should I say, very high speed shooter, and many of his tactics went on to be used to be tra- to train other FBI agents in his point-and-shoot tactics, because he was a point-shooter, and he was absolutely lethal with it, in a very real sense of the word. He had been in 19 gunfights, all told. He had quite a reputation that wasn't built just on his shooting skill, but also on the type of bad guys that he actually arrested or ended up having to shoot and kill. He. Tangled with some of the baddest of the bad, he was said to rarely miss. Matter of fact, it was stated that the one shot that he aimed at uh, O'Donnell's head that went into the mattress was the only time that anybody knew him to miss in an actual gunfight. Somebody once asked him, he said, aren't you interested in bringing him back alive? And he responded, and this is a great response here. He said, I'm more interested in bringing me back alive. Jelly got married in 1944, had a son in 1945. He retired in 1958, got involved in some private detective work, but most of what he liked to do after retiring was hunting fish. His wife passed away. She died as a result of injuries received in a car crash in April, 1973. And in May of 1974, Jelly followed her. He passed away from a heart attack in his sleep one night during a gathering of FBI retired agents. As one writer put it, surely notwithstanding his exceptional skill with firearms, Jelly Bryce is deserving of the term legendary lawman due to his vigilance, longevity of career, and the fact that he went to his grave with a clear conscience, having never shot anyone without legal and moral justification. If you would join me now in a prayer for those that stand on that blue line. Those that face the same kind of desperadoes that Delph Jelly Bryce faced throughout his career. People that put themselves in harm's way like Delph Jelly Bryce did. People that are out there seeing the underbelly of society. Those same kind of desperadoes that Bryce tangled with in his illustrious career. Lord God Almighty, in the name of your Son, Jesus, we ask you to protect those who stand on the blue line. Let not this day be their end of watch. May you watch over them as they watch over us. May you keep your guiding hand upon them and bring them all home safely to their families. Amen. On behalf of the American Police Hall of Fame and myself, Royce, your host, We thank you for joining us on this episode of Voice of the Blue. God bless you all.